there. My name's Andy Steves. Welcome to Coolsville. Yes, this is the latest installment. Just me and my nine distinct personalities. That's right. You've got them all. <laughs> you lucky people. Going back into time, late 50s, early 60s, there was a place in New York City instrumental in launching the careers of singers, songwriters, and music producers that now are known to be famous. A place of musical magic and mystery. I'm talking about the world's first music factory, the Brill Building. We're talking about a place that only hindsight could tell you that you could believe in unicorns. With this place, anything was possible. To paraphrase the man who started it all, Don Kirshner, he said that they may not remember my name forever, but they'll remember the music for as long as there's music. This is Coolsville. Today's music industry. Well, I'm sure it has to be a complicated place to break into. I'm also sure that the songwriters and performers of today were groomed and were rejected numerous times before they hit it big. These days, though, it seems like music artists were famous almost by the time they sprang out of the womb. Think about Taylor Swift. She moved to Nashville at the age of 14 with her family, and she wrote her first album at 16. Ed Sheeran released his first album at 13. Ariana Grande started her music career at 15 on Broadway. So today, there's massive ways to get exposure through social media and television talent shows and things like that. It wasn't always like that, though. Think of a time not so very long ago when songwriters spent their entire day in cubicles with room for only a piano, a pen and paper, and maybe another chair for a person who wrote the lyrics. The walls were so paper thin that even if you did write a good song, there's a chance that someone might steal at least a portion of it before you got home. What I speak of was the Brill Building in New York City, at 1619 Broadway to be exact. Some of the greatest singer-songwriters in the history of popular music got their start right there. Let's give you a little history of the place. The building was owned by the Brill Brothers, and the bottom floor was their clothing store. Well, in 1931, there was what they call the Great Depression. The stock market had crashed, leaving most of the people out of work, and most office buildings without tenants. Now, the only tenants that the Brill Brothers could seem to attract were these shady kind of people from a place called Tin Pan Alley, a place where the musical riffraff kind of hung out, music publishers and songwriters mostly. Some of the most popular songs of that era came from Tin Pan Alley, stuff like, Oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, when the saints go marching in, nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning. And take me out to the ball game, take me out with the crowd. That's just to name a few. It was a different time. By the 1950s, musical styles were different, going away from the big band country and jazz music of the 30s and 40s, till someone said, hey, let's blend these different styles together and make something good, like rock and roll. Anytime a music changes its genre, well, the change is usually led by teenagers. 
For example, Tin Pan Alley was basically made up of romance songs for courting. Big band music and Frank Sinatra were known as the teenage Bobby Soxers generation, and it was no different with rock and roll. Music from Chuck Berry to the Beatles to Michael Jackson was all generated by the tastes of the teenager. By 1958, Don Kirshner and Al Nivens started Alden Records in the Brill Building, and legend has it that while they were still putting their furniture in their new offices, two young men named Neil Sedaka and Howard Greenfield came in looking for a job writing songs. Well, the Sedaka Greenfield team would eventually write four songs that hit number one on the Billboard charts, along with so many hits for Neil Sedaka and other artists like the Everly Brothers, the Shirelles, and the Captain and Tennille. Sedaka claimed that they wouldn't sign as staff songwriters for Aldon Records until one of their songs hit the top 40. Well, Don Kirshner seemed to know a girl by the name of Connie Francis, and he gave them one of their songs. It was called Stupid Cupid, You're a Real Mean Guy. Well, that song hit number 14 on the Billboard charts, so the boys were in and they signed their contract. One of Neil Sedaka's old girlfriends from high school, Carol Klein, started writing songs at the Brill Building while she was still a teenager. She would change her name to Carol King. In college, she met her future husband and songwriting partner, Jerry Goffin, and they would become one of the most prolific songwriting teams in pop history with songs like The Locomotion that they wrote for their babysitter, Little Eva, and Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow by the Shirelles, also Up on the Roof by the Drifters, many, many, many more songs that they had. Probably the best-known producer in rock history got his start as a producer at Brill. Ah! <laughs> Kind of a sketchy guy with mental health problems, but a genius nonetheless. Phil Spector was under the wing of Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. He invented something called the Wall of Sound, where he layered different instruments, a lot of them not associated with rock music, to create a new, richer sound. And arguably the best Christmas album of the rock era remains Phil Spector, A Christmas Gift to You, with stuff by The Crystals and The Ronettes, among others. At one time, the Brill Building hosted 165 music businesses all at once. It was great for musicians because you could find someone to publish your song, cut a demo, get promotion of the record by radio executives, and also find musicians and background singers. Truly one-stop shopping. The songwriters who passed through this joint, amazing. Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller wrote Jailhouse Rock and Hound Dog for Elvis. Ellie Greenwich and Jeff Berry wrote To Do Ron Ron and Be My Baby. Sonny Bono, who would later work with Cher and married Cher, actually, when she was 19 years old. That song called I Got You, Babe, and a whole lot of others. Uh, Neil Diamond got his start at the Brill Building. He was going to be a doctor. And he had one semester left, and he had a chance to write songs at the Brill Building, and he took it. And the rest is history. Barry Mann and Cynthia Wheel wrote stuff like You've Lost That Love and Feeling" and Don't Know Much by Aaron Neville and Linda Ronstadt. Andy Kim, Canadian, from Montreal, he hit it big with Rock Me Gently in the 70s and was co-writer and singer on uh, Sugar Sugar by the Archies. He wrote a lot of songs at the Brill Building. Musicians had their headquarters there too. Bobby Darren, Connie Francis, the Ronettes, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, D. 
Dionne Warwick, just to name a few. I was born too late. I wish I was alive back then. That would have been so cool. Alas, all good things got to come to an end. By 1963, Don Kirshner had sold Alden Records and headed west to Los Angeles. In 1964, the Beatles and the British Invasion had taken pop music by storm. A lot of the performers who made the building famous had faded into obscurity or left to find audiences in Europe. Burt Bacharach and Hal David, Barry Mann and Cynthia Wheel continued. Ellie Greenwich developed a hit Broadway play from the song she and Jeff Barry had written called Leader of the Pack. Phil Spector died in prison after being found guilty of murder. I told you he was sketchy. Harold Greenfield died in 1986. Neil Sedaka, though, had a whole new career in the 70s. A number one hit on his own with Laughter in the Rain. A number one song he wrote for the Captain and Neil called Love Will Keep Us Together. Neil still plays his songs, in fact. Carol King and Jerry Goffin got married really early and they had a baby when she was like 18 years old. They didn't last a long time. They uh, were too young when they got married, I guess, and it just didn't work out. They broke up in the late 60s. Carol, though, is known as being one of the best singer-songwriters of all time. She had a huge hit album called Tapestry. Check it out. From 1971, and uh, did the theme song also from the TV series The Gilmore Girls. You remember that one? She still writes and like Neil Sedaka, plays her songs on social media, right? So you can still check out Carol. She's usually on Instagram. Neil Sedaka does his thing on Facebook. So there's a video on YouTube where Don Kirshner swears he offered sugar sugar to the monkeys and that they uh, wanted to fire Don Kirshner and thought that the song was crap and they wanted to do their own thing. It was all baloney. Because uh, the songwriters Jeff Barry and Andy Kim said that never happened at all. The incident that they talked about where Don Kirshner and the Monkees had a falling out was 1967. And the song Sugar Sugar was not written until 1969. A bunch of Kirshner crap! That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Smash that follow button so that you keep up to date with all ensuing episodes of this program. Thanks for listening to Coolsville. My name's Andy Steves. Have yourself a great week. Music